Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast post-game edition. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me on the podcast as always. And boy, unexpected outcome in Corvallis. From an Oregon perspective, the worst outcome that you could have expected in this football game. Oregon loses 41-38. A three-game winning streak over the Oregon State Beavers has been snapped. And the way that this game was lost for Oregon is maybe even the bigger, more surprising story than the actual outcome of this football game. We're going to break it all down here on this post-game edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, but first, I want to remind you guys right now, you can subscribe today and save 75% off an annual VIP membership. $26.85 is your one-time payment. That's 75% off the normal rate. Inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. Black Friday sale is here. This runs through the end of November. So you've got a couple days to take advantage of it. Get all of this football season that's remaining. National Signing Day for recruiting. Basketball season is kicking off. And probably when you're listening to this podcast, the women play later today. Eric will be at Matthew Knight Arena. You'll have your full recap for men and women's games, also spring football, and you get all of the regular season for 2021 for the Oregon Ducks. Okay, Eric, um, where to begin? We were just kind of discussing off the air. There's a lot of different angles we could talk about in this football game, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at one in which Oregon jumps out to a 21-10 to 10 lead against Oregon State when uh, Tyler Shuck connected on a, a second and 21-yard play to Devin Williams for a touchdown with two minutes uh, – excuse me, with, with 10 minutes and 57 seconds to play in that second quarter. And you're sitting here thinking, this game's over. Oregon is going to win this something like 56 to, to 21 or 56-17, something of that nature. This game is over. Oregon – just had a huge drive, second touch, uh, second touchdown, and you know about ten minutes of game action for the Ducks, and that didn't obviously happen. They they go into halftime leading uh, Oregon State 30, uh, 13 to twenty four. The Beavers twenty eight points in the second half for Oregon State. Pretty remarkable to see that happen. Twenty two in the fourth quarter. And the way that this game was lost for the Ducks, I'll say it, Oregon State was the tougher, more physical football team. And I don't think I ever imagined saying those words, uh, that Oregon State was going to be a team that was grittier, tougher. They made fewer mistakes down the stretch. They were hard-nosed. They had the juice. And they flat-out wanted it more than Oregon. I agree, Matt. It's it's hard to – have expected to see that, I guess. I, I, I certainly didn't. You know, I think 
I think all week we expect. I mean, I I I, pick, I thought it was gonna be a close game. I predicted eleven point Oregon victory. I certainly didn't expect them to lose. I don't think anybody really did. That has followed this team closely. I I mean, they started fast, right? I mean, they came right down the field, impressive first drive. Oregon State punches back with the Jamar Jefferson eighty-two-yard touchdown. Oregon punches back again. The defense seems to find its footing, right? I mean. The defense didn't play very well in this game, and we can get to that. The second half was a disaster defensively, and the second half was just a disaster in general. But after that Jamar Jefferson long touchdown run, Oregon allows six points the rest of the half and outscores Oregon State, what, 17 to six the rest of the half? And, and, and it really felt like they had control. I mean, I thought that was their best first half of the season, and I think it'd be hard to argue that. I mean, they, they had led by 11. To that point, they hadn't turned the ball over. To that point, Oregon State, aside from one huge long run, hadn't really had a ton of success. And I know Jamar Jefferson was just running everywhere, but Tristan Jebbia was pretty much held in check. And then something happened in that second half, and it was pretty demoralizing to see it come down that way. I, you know, and I think defensively, there's it's just it's a mess. They're terrible on defense. You know, and I don't say that lightly, but they are really bad on defense. They just aren't good. This is not the same defense we saw last year that was extremely consistent and was lights out every single week and that you could rely upon when the game's on the line. Like, I mean, the fact that at this point in the season, Oregon State gets the ball a couple times in the fourth quarter and Oregon's leading by four points and the sense is really they're not going to win this game. Ah, They're not going to make the plays. The offense is going to need to get the ball back. I mean, the fact that on – Social media, people are going, just let Oregon State score. Let yep. them score. Give, give the Oregon offense the ball back. Mark Cristobal was asked after the game if he ever thought of allowing Oregon State to score to preserve some more time. He just basically said, I did not. The next question. Um, I, this defense is a problem. It is not good. And you could have made excuses in the past for, for some reasons why. And, I mean, there's still reasons why they're not good in terms of the personnel losses they've had. But point blank, they suck tonight. They were not good. And it was really disconcerting in the second half. If you look at the drive chart here for Oregon State, Oregon forces a punt, a three and out in the first drive of the second half. And it really feels like, okay, here they go. Oregon comes down the field. They punt it as well. Three, three, you know, and, and then you go, okay, well, but the defense seemed to figure something out. From there, three straight touchdown drives for Oregon State. The next drive – is a turnover and downs, but it's a turnover and downs deep in Oregon territory. The only drive that they stopped for Oregon State the rest of the game because... And this is when the game should have been won, right here. Th- th- that sequence right there, you get the turnover and downs. Just give it to the offense. The offense needs one, one first down, and the game's over. They can't do it. And so you, got, you, you, ha- you can't, it, it goes both ways. It's not just the defense that sucked. The offense wasn't very good in the second half either, but especially in those crucial spots there. And we can talk about the turnovers and some mistakes by Tyler Shuck all we, all we want because those are legitimate. But they make one stop and you're kind of like, okay. And then Oregon State comes right down the field. And the ease with which Tristan Jebbia, who all week we said, he can't beat you with his arm. He beat Oregon with his arm in that second yeah. half there. He threw for 263 yards, touchdown. Oregon had no resistance at all on that last drive. And it was pretty maddening to watch because – he doesn't have that good of an arm. Oregon State's receivers, they don't have Isaiah Hodgins, who is an all-conference future NFL guy. There's not a receiver on this team that is going to be a big-time NFL player 
You know, he saved Trevon Bradford, had eight catches for 93 yards. Colby Taylor had seven for 114. That's fine. Oregon's defense, the secondary, which I had thought had been okay for most of the year, they just got beat over and over and over again. And it was pretty embarrassing, the fact that you're just kind of like reserved to the fact that, okay, Oregon State has the ball last. They're probably going to win the game. But that was the way I felt. And unfortunately, they didn't do anything to really change my mind. And the way that that game ends – really with the whimper from Oregon after, like you said, being ahead for most of this game, for almost the entire game, to see it just kind of wiped away like that and to see Oregon State celebrating, uh, it was pretty I, – I know from an Oregon perspective, the players were down. Mario Cristobal was the most down I've ever seen him yep. in a post-game press conference. And I don't have a ton of confidence going forward. I know Cal just lost to Stanford. They're 0-3. I think Oregon can definitely beat Cal. I think Oregon can beat Washington too. I mean, I don't think the season, I don't think they're going to go like three and three, but gosh, if they play like they played last night or tonight, I should say, gosh, I don't even know what day it is anymore. They'll lose uh, every other game they have on the schedule. hundred percent. They will. They will. I mean, th- th- this week, I'm, I'm, there'll be a column on duckterritory.com later. This is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday will be the days that decide where the season goes for Oregon football. It's the youngest team in the Power Five. 71% of this roster is sophomores, redshirt freshmen, or true freshmen. A lot of new faces and not a, a lot of new leaders. And they are at a crossroads from a season standpoint. You know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next seven days or so. And I, I said at the top, Oregon lost this game in the most surprising way. They they, they were not the, mo- the more physical team. No. And – you mentioned it in the, in the drive chart here. You know, Oregon got the ball with one, with two minutes, 18 seconds, ball at their own 17-yard line. And all they needed to do was get 25 yards or two first downs. And you get, you get 25 yards. It doesn't matter if you go three and out after that and you punt the football. More than likely, Oregon State's going to take over with no timeouts, and they're going to have to drive the length of the field. And you know they're throwing the football every single down, and you can and and there'll be less than a minute probably for them to, to do that. Extremely unlikely they come down the field and score a touchdown, or you get two first downs and the game is over. And they yep. could only muster two yards, and they only took yep. off twenty three seconds. That's I mean, look, Oregon did not lose this game because Tyler Shuck. Uh, through two interceptions. Oregon did not lose this game because Oregon State's offense rolled up 532 yards of total offense in this game, which, mind you, is the most since the 2013 Civil War. Um, the most yardage that Oregon gave up in the 2019 season was at Arizona State when they gave up 535. I mean, before that, if you want to go back and you want to look through the stats – you know, of how many times did Oregon give up 500 yards of total offense last year against Arizona State? The year before, in 2017 at Stanford, they gave up 504. 2000, and then Southern California in 2016 went for 579. And then that was a bad year where some teams went for six, 600 yards and, and whatnot. But the whole point is, is there wasn't one instance in which one direct play or one direct, you know, outcome that, that lost Oregon the game. There's not one individual that lost them the game, but Oregon had an opportunity to win the game 
against Oregon State, and they missed it. And they did it because they couldn't run the football. And I think that watching Oregon State just dominate on offense, 532 yards, Tristan Jibia, 263 and a touchdown, 23 of 37. He also had a touchdown run. Um, Jamar Jefferson goes for 226 on 29 carries, touchdown of 82 yards, second play of scrimmage from Oregon State in that game. Jefferson's still running somewhere. Oregon, <laughs> yeah. Oregon couldn't stop him all night. Like it was like all of that was concerning and, and you knew Oregon state was going to be one dimensional and you let them be multidimensional. And that's, that's whole podcast. But to, to, to think that for the second straight game, like I understand Oregon ran for 183, and on a normal year, normal game, that's a pretty decent number. It's a pretty solid number. But when the game was on the line, they could not effectively run the football and I don't think I ever expected Mario Cristobal's team to, to be like that. Like, let's let's be blunt here. Oregon State is a, a team made up of two and three and a few handful of four-star players. That you know, and I understand recruiting isn't everything. Development matters, scheme matters, coaching matters. You know, there's you know there's data that that's not rated that matters as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the Jimmys and the Joes and not the X's and the O's and if you have the better roster, more often than not, you are going to win the football game. And Oregon has the better roster significantly. And yet, even with that, give credit to Oregon State because they did it. But Oregon could not run the football in the second half. And they became one-dimensional. And then Tyler Shuck's offense and, and, and his effectiveness dipped a little bit. And when you combine that with, an, with a defense that can't stop Jamar Jefferson – we have the recipe of what happened, 41-38. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just frustrating. I'm mean, just kind of running my head, running through a lot of this stuff, going like, it's just a player here, there. You know, it's just a couple of small things. I mean, and, and I'm not saying like this is easily fixable, et cetera, because I, I think there are some huge issues on this team. Um Okay, what are those? Let's 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 identify those right now. Uh, defensively, there's no push on the front seven. Um, I think the play from the linebackers remains very problematic. I mean, I think to me the thing that was most disappointing really was in that that last drive was just I don't know if it's schematic. I I I watched it all in real time. I haven't watched the replay. This is like you know, but there was massive holes on key passing downs for Morgan state. I mean, there was no, and again, one thing they, they have no pass rush, zero pass rush. I know Kayvon Thibodeau finally got to the quarterback. He got a sack. That was the only time Oregon touched the quarterback all night. Tristan Jebbia, like he's not proven that he could, I mean, the fact that Tristan Jebbia entered this game with one touchdown and three picks in his last two games, and he threw for a touchdown. It wasn't intercepted all of, Friday night, I mean, I, I thought it was a recipe. I, I thought this was the quarterback. If you're going to make him throw it 37 times, you're going to pick him off a couple times. I mean, just with the way he's looked. He's not a very good quarterback. And he, to his credit, I thought he was much better than he'd been in the last couple games, having watched those games. But, and, and again, the whole thing all week was, hey, if Oregon can get a lead, if they can get ahead, and they can force Tristan Jebbia to beat them, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, they did that. They got ahead. They were up 11 points. They were up 11 points for most of the second half. Um, you know, and, and up 12 points with six to go in the third quarter. And at that point, it really was, okay, Tristan Jebby is going to have to make some throws, and he did. And I think it was perplexing with just the amount of space his receivers had. 
consistently throughout the game. And there were drives in the second half where they, they had some moments and Noah Sewell stuck his nose in there and made some plays. I mean, like, I think I mentioned what was wrong with the defense. I thought Noah Sewell played a heck of a game. I thought that dude, considering it looked like he had his leg, I don't even know. Like he broke his leg last week against UCLA. And yet he was, I think, or I named him the best player of the game for Oregon after the, Civil, or the Oregon, Oregon State rivalry game. I, I don't know, the Civil War, whatever you want to call it um, at this point. But like, gosh, they just, they just don't have, they just weren't good enough. And, and I think in the secondary, I know they're shuffling through bodies. I know they've had some injuries. I know they've got, they've had some targeting suspensions, but the inability to just cover guys man up is just disappointing. I don't think D.D. Lenore was the problem very much. And I think you probably watched that. I don't know if he got beat a couple times, but outside of him and coverage, everyone's pretty suspect. And the inability to make tackles in space is really a problem. Uh, you know, you, you force turnovers when you can a get after the quarterback and, and force him to make tough throws. Well, you didn't do that with Tristan Jebbia. He, he had all day to throw and you force turnovers when you get to the, you know, get to the ball carrier and you, you know, you tackle fundamentally, you put your helmet on the ball or whatnot, and, and, and you pop the ball loose. And they just didn't do that. You know, they didn't force a single turnover against an Oregon State team that was turnover prone. And that's a problem. Um, offensively, CJ Verdell and who was out for a lot of that second half, but like all of the Oregon running in the second half came on one drive where Travis Dye had a couple nice runs and he did. You have to give him credit. He had a couple nice runs. You take that away, there's nothing going on from a run game for the second consecutive week. And it's pretty clear. I just mentioned that Tristan Jebbia can't win you a game with his arm. I don't think Tyler Shuck can win you a game with his arm either right now. And the interception he threw in the second half was a really bad one. Yep. That was the first time I kind of went like, oh, crap, is Oregon State going to win this game? Because suddenly Oregon State has the ball. and Two plays later they scored. Yeah, two players later they score. And again, it was, I think, just a pass to Colby Taylor for like 30 yards and it puts the ball at the one-yard line. And it's just like, wow. So, I mean, I, I, there's a laundry list of issues. Um, they weren't good enough really in any aspect of the game. I mean, you think about it. Okay, did, was the passing game good enough? They had some chunk plays. The 60-yard touchdown to Devin Williams was great. Hunter Campmeyer had another nice game. Johnny Johnson had a couple nice plays. Um, but it was, it, this was the worst game from the passing perspective, I think, all season. Two turnovers, two interceptions. Chuck yep. made some really poor choices. It's the worst run game. Well, I guess last week was worse against UCLA, but it wasn't good. And then defensively, there's, I mean, what can you say? Nothing was good. It really, I mean, I, after that first half, the defense was a disaster. It really was. And I never expected to be saying this about an Andy Avalos coach defense from what we saw last year, but it's really clear that there's some, some massive issues with this defense. They just aren't very good. And it felt like all they had to do was get a stop here, a stop there. All the offense had to do was pick up a first down here, pick up a first down there. None of it, none of it came together. And the second half was really just a mess. And to see Oregon State outscore Oregon like they did, 28 to 14 in the second half, especially when Oregon had, I thought, complete control you know, midway through that third quarter. It's just disappointing. And I don't know if we, if we thought Oregon was going to be able to overcome some of these offensive and defenses' losses, and maybe we just overlooked it. And, and from a talent perspective, Oregon did have to replace their starting quarterback, five offensive linemen, their top tight end, a couple of key receivers defensively. I think, okay, here's, here's one thing that's very frustrating is defensively they bring back – Everybody on that defensive line that really is of, of importance, and they are getting destroyed. They're getting yeah, dominated. I was going to interject there and just They're say getting dominated there. Go ahead. Like that's the most surprising thing for me is that you add Brady Breeze, 
you add Thomas Graham, you add Javon Holland. And I don't necessarily believe that solves Oregon's issues defensively. Uh-uh. Like as I agree with you, like the secondary is, is not playing well. The fact that Tristan Jibia had all day to throw the football is a bigger concern to me than the DBs getting beat by uh, average receiving core at Oregon. Absolutely. State. Absolutely. Like that is what's really concerning because Oregon still has Kayvon Thibodeau. Oregon still has Jordan Scott. Oregon still has Austin Folio. They still have Popo Amave from last year's unit. Christian Williams is Brandon Dorless are on this team still. Mace Funa is still on this team. And they're not getting the push. They're not getting the pressure. They're not getting the hands in the face of the opponent's quarterbacks. They're not stuffing the run like they did last season. And could does Holland help in that regard? Yeah, and in, in terms of stopping the run, yeah, he does. Does does Holland there does Breeze help in 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 that regard? Yeah, he he does. But I look at this and in 2019, from a game perspective, Oregon allowed 3.27 yards per per rush on the ground. Five rushing touchdowns all year were scored on Oregon on the ground. In 2019, in 2020, in three games, six rushing touchdowns, 5.17 yards per play, and that's averages before the Oregon State game. The stats haven't updated yet. We don't have the final stats in that regard yet, but that just tells you going into this game, and it's only going to get worse. Oregon State had four rushing touchdowns, so that's uh, that's, that's ten. That's doubled the out in about a quarter of the games. And so that, to me, is really what's just mind-boggling and surprising that this defense was expected to be the heart of this team and the backbone of this team, and it's not performing like it. And what's really disappointing is Oregon had four games in which they were going to play the weaker teams of their of their schedule. Washington State, Stanford, uh, UCLA, and Oregon State were last season. None of those teams had a winning record. Um, only one of them went to a bowl game, Washington State, and they lost, which gave them a losing record on the year. So in theory, on regular season, Washington State was 500. That was the toughest team that you were going to play, and they had a coaching change. And this was your opportunity. These were your four get-right games. Make you know gradual improvement from week one to week two, week two to week three, week three to week four, and get some blowouts. You know, maybe you have one close game where it's you know a 10-point win or what have you, and then week two, week three, week four – it's, it's a three score or more win every single time. And you're getting a little bit better incrementally so that when you do play a Cal and when you do play a Washington and you do play the seventh team on your schedule from the Pac-12 South, you're playing at your best. You're playing the tougher teams. You're getting the marquee wins and you're in the playoff picture. That didn't happen. They went 0 for 4. They didn't get a single blowout. They lost a game. And any yeah. hope of the playoffs are out the window. This is not a playoff team. Even if they beat oh, yeah. Oregon State, this was not a playoff team. No, they're not a playoff team. And, and I, they're probably lucky to win the conference, right? They're probably yeah, lucky like, to win the conference. I mean, they still control their destiny. Sure. 
as long as that Washington game does not get canceled because of COVID, and as long as Oregon wins out, they still win the Pac-12 North because Oregon State has two losses. Washington does not. Oregon would beat Washington head-to-head and get the win. So you, you have beaten two out of the, of the three teams in the North that you've played. You now have to beat Cal. You now have to beat Washington. So you still control your destiny. Yep. And that's why this, this week is going to be so important for Oregon because it's going to be critical for this team to flush this, as Tyler Shuck said at postgame, that they, do, they still have opportunities out there to have a season that they want, to win the Pac-12. That's always goal number one for Oregon. Playoffs are out of the picture, but reality is they weren't a playoff team regardless. Now, now it focuses in on, though, how committed are you to this team? How committed are you to this culture? How committed are you to the protocols that you have to take? You, you fought tooth and nail to get yourself in a position to be able to potentially play for a college football playoff. That was like the big carrot dangling in front of the Oregon program. Hey, it's difficult. You're only going to get to play seven games. You're later on in the year than everybody else. But if you go 7-0, you're going to make the playoff. That's gone off the table. How strong is this culture now at Oregon under Mario Cristobal? A lot of new guys, a lot of younger players. The big leaders of the program last three or four years are gone. Who's going to step up to make sure everyone's still going through the, the protocol that's absolutely required of them to keep playing? And we could see a season in which Oregon regroups. They come back pissed off this week. They go down to Berkeley. They dominate. They beat Cal. They come back home. They beat Washington in their second rivalry game of the week of the year. And then they go and, and they play a Pac-12 South champion, potentially USC, and they go to the Fiesta Bowl as Pac-12 champs. Or we could see a, a team kind of break under the, 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 the loss. Yeah. This cost them two more losses, one more loss, and they go three and three. You know, I have a lot of thoughts here. We're going to keep the podcast. We don't have to make it like two hours. But I just think, as we were talking, I think the player that maybe we overlooked the most that Oregon doesn't have on this roster is Troy Dye. Yeah. They need his leadership. The linebackers just haven't been playing very well. And frankly, I think a lot – he covered up maybe some of the issues the front seven had in the run game. I mean, I know he didn't have a huge season last year from a tackle perspective. He still led the team. But I just think they, they miss him. And he's in the NFL now. He's starting and playing a lot for the Vikings. He's a really talented player. They need those kind of guys. And you look at this, this defense, and I just go, who's the leader? I mean, it seems like Verón McKinley has kind of become – I thought it was pretty telling who – Oregon chose to speak in the postgame, and it was Tyler Shuck from offense, and it was Ron McKinley from defense. I think Ron McKinley has spoken in every game that he's finished so far this year because he was ejected from one for a targeting call. Um, he's, he's pretty clearly being presented as a leader, and I, I get that. He is a very smart, articulate guy. He's an incredibly intelligent football player. I don't know if he's, if he's a Troy Dye type of guy. I don't know if this defense has that kind of mentality. I don't know who that is. And maybe it's a Kayvon Thibodeau and a Noah Sewell. I mean, the fact that your two best players are young guys, like they, they need the leader there. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it's going to come from. But for them to get better, part of me thinks it's, this is some of it's between the ears. Um, and I do think there's some real, real weak points on this defense right now. There are some – 
I think Verone's pretty solid at safety. The other position has the the yeah the production at the other spot hasn't been very good. The production, honestly, I think Mikhail Wright's been kind of a disappointment this year. Um, I think the entire defensive line, aside from Kayvon Thibodeau, who I still think is playing at a high level, like Jordan Scott's not been very good, just point blank. Um, doesn't get any push. I don't think they get much out of the other end position either. I think at linebacker, Isaac Slade, I know he made 12 tackles and he was in on some stuff. He's still he – there's a lot of plays he makes, a lot of plays he misses. Uh, you know, and I know, and I'm, and this is the re, you know this is how I'm recapping after a very disappointing loss in which they played terrible, and so it's easy to point fingers. But I just look at this group and go like, uh, there, last year's team, it felt like every level there was like a surefire top tier NFL talent. I don't think that's the case right now. Um, I know, I know, you know, you've got some great players on this team defensively, but I think from a personnel perspective, they're just not as good as I thought they were. You know, and and I'm hoping that they prove us wrong. Like Matt says. This is a crossroads point in the season here. They can either finish with two wins, win the Pac-12 North again, probably have a very good chance of winning the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. And like he said, play in the festival, win that. Hey, it's a great season. You look back and you say, hey, they lost to Oregon State, but they got better as the season went on. That was a turning point. Boom, look at that. Six and one regular season, seven and one overall. That's not too bad given everything. We'll take that. We'll build off of that. Or this can go the other way, and they can go three and three. And I don't think it's – I'm hoping it's door one, but it's kind of up to them. And I think it really comes down to some of the leadership here and, and what they have. And I don't know if we've seen enough yet. And I, and I would be very, very curious to see what yeah, Matt – like what Matt said, this next five, six-day stretcher is just crucial for the entire season and really crucial for where this program is headed from a momentum perspective. If, this, if they peter out the way, end of the season – uh, that's going to be something that is going to be talked about all throughout the offseason. That's going to linger over this program. And that's certainly not the way you want to go into 2021. Yeah. You, you bring up the fact of, you know, this is the, the, the crossroads year. And in previous years, when something bad happens, you had guys step up and be the voice. And Oregon has lost a ton of player leadership. Um, yeah. a, a bunch of guys, Herbert, Lemieux, Throckmorton, Hanson, Breland, Troy Dye, Lamar Winston, um, Thomas Graham, Thomas Graham, Brady Breeze, Javon Holland, those Javon guys. Holland. I mean, these guys are are players who Holland and Tom and Holland was not here, and Thomas Graham was not here, but the rest of the group. When Oregon was at its lowest point in 2016, and Helfrich got fired a lot of those guys that saw the lowest point of Oregon football and helped them get back to Rose bowl championship level. Those guys are gone. And those are guys that when in practice, a unit's not performing well, someone could step in and be like, Hey, look, if we let this continue for a second week, bad things are going to happen. I was here in 2016 when we had a losing season. If we don't clean this up, this was what will happen. And I'm not saying this team is is still a little hungover from the Rose Bowl win, but this is a turning point and and for a young team that that for the most part all they've all they've experienced is high success for Oregon. And how they respond, how they react is going to be pivotal. Um I don't want to end this podcast on just pure negativity. From a positive standpoint, is there anything that you feel like comes out of this game? You feel good I, for one, Eric. 
Oregon may have a kicker. Hey, I, maybe, was, maybe. <laughs> I was waiting to talk about Henry Cavillman. Let's bring it on. Let's bring out Hank. <laughs> um, I tried to, I tried to maybe uh, get Mario to open up about something positive by bringing up Henry Cavillman. I don't think he really bit there, but I he mean, had no he desire did. to talk to us. He had no desire to talk to us at all. Um, that was, I was, you know, we don't, I, we, we want to talk about Henry Cavillman, but like, I was a little surprised with just how, yeah, just Mario, Mario's entire demeanor was a little bit surprising, I think. And he got better. I think they were pretty off. shocked that they lost. I think so. I think so. And, and probably very disappointed and probably embarrassed as they should be. But let's go, let, let's not, let's not delve into that too much because we're trying to f- finish on a positive. Yeah. Henry Cattleman, um, makes all five extra points. Hits the 33-yard field goal. I know that's not like a particularly challenging field goal distance. But he drills it. Like, no question about it. Perfect. Right down the middle. Good distance. They've got a kicker now. And it's a small sample size. But, like, and, and, and again, Camden Lewis has made kicks of all these distances before. But, like, I now go into the Cal game going, like, and, and Mark Cristobal did say one thing when I asked him. He said, we were going we to give Henry a chance if we got one to send into overtime that that was telling. But I, I think if you get now into a situation, there's, I have a little more confidence about the uprights being split. So that's a positive. Um, Devin Williams. I was going to say that was big, where I was going next. Yeah, go ahead. Big play. Devin Williams, two straight games over a hundred yards, four catches, 101 yards, two, t- uh, one touchdown, six targets, had a 60 yard bomb. Um, you go and look at his stats First Oregon player to go over 1,000 yards receiving in back-to-back games since Dylan Mitchell did it in 2018. Um, seven of his 13 receptions on the year have gone for at least 15 yards. Like, he's turning into Oregon's big play, go-to threat receiver. thought seeing Noah Sewell out there was encouraging, and then seeing him just ser- seriously play like nothing was wrong. <laughs> I mean, like... Ten total didn't, tackles. Didn't, didn't expect to see that, that that was really impressive. That's probably the only thing defensively I'm going to say that's particularly positive on this podcast, if I'm honest. I thought Travis Dye had some nice running in the second half, especially on that, that one drive that I think it led to um, the second to last touchdown of the game. We finished 12 carries, 93 yards. He continues to be a real bright spot on offense. Um, CJ Verdell was out for most of the second half. I think yep. he, Ball said he was unavailable. Um, I believe it was an injury situation. And I think it happened on a swing pass on second down um, early in the third quarter. I don't remember him coming back ever again. We did see the return of Micah Pittman. Got some clarity on that as well. He played the final play of the game. And the only reason he played was because Devin Williams got dinged up on that last, the play before it. And I'll be curious to see. I don't think Devin looked like he was like, going to be missing any time from it but that would be certain it looked like he like knocked wind out or took a, just yeah. a really big hit and he needed a second to to collect himself like that happens to a ton of guys throughout the normal part of a game just unfortunately for oregon it came on a fourth down play with nine seconds to go in the game um and Pittman went out there for his one play and chris paul said post game that he didn't practice for two weeks essentially and he got cleared today and you know they weren't going to play him because he hadn't played much well, he didn't practice at all um, up until the yeah. lead up to the Washington State game. But one play situation, let's throw him out there, see what he could do. But and like, last, last thing that's positive, I know the offense wasn't amazing, but there were times where 
I think Joe Moorhead is a really good offensive coordinator, and that part came through really clearly. There were, there were times where Oregon State really just had no chance. A couple of those drives, you look at the drive chart. Um, first drive, eight, eight plays, 77 yards. Next one, 11, 93 yards, 675. Second half, 674, 1075. All those drives, it really didn't feel like there was much resistance from Oregon State. Really impressed with some of the drives there. The inconsistency was frustrating. A couple times, I didn't love what they did. Pretty clearly, Travis Dye is not going to be the starting quarterback. Don't know why he's throwing the football in a, in a pretty key situation there. But all in all, I, I mean, I think he continues to be impressive. But, like, that's that's maybe maybe be me trying to sugarcoat this just in general because I didn't think the offense was particularly impressive. But yeah. at, the same, at the same time, if you score 38 points and you gain, what, almost 500 yards of total offense, like that you should, should win. It should be good enough to win. I mean, look, look at it this way. In the first quarter – 170 yards of total offense, eight yards per play. Second, that's more that's more yardage in the first quarter than they had in the second half. In the second quarter, 124 yards, 7.8 yards per play. And this is the concerning part. In the third quarter, they were actually pretty good offensively. Um, they, from a scoring standpoint, they had just one. They had one just score in the third in the third quarter. It was a touchdown. Um, Hunter Campmore, four yard touchdown pass. But the issue is. Oregon was able to only have the football um, for nine plays in the third quarter, but they averaged seven. They averaged eight point four yards per play. They had seventy six yards total, so they were moving the football in the third quarter. They just only had two drives. One of them went three and out and took a minute and thirty one off the clock. The second one was six plays, seventy four yards, and two minutes and six seconds. And the rest of the time, OSU had the ball. One one drive for a minute 20, another drive for 308, and then another touchdown drive that went for eight minutes and five seconds. So in the third quarter, up up through the third quarter, offensively, Oregon was fine. It, it's just in the second quarter, or excuse me, in the fourth quarter, that's where the issues popped up for them. 93 total yards, 4.9 uh, yards per play. They were two of four on, on third downs. Um Four was the most third downs they faced in any quarter. Uh, and it was real quick, two less than what Oregon had in the first and, and second and third quarters combined. Um, so you look at this and you think, you know, the defense cracked early in the game, offense crumbled uh, in that fourth quarter. And that's how we end up with this 41 38 loss to the Oregon State Beavers. Ducks fall three and one. I think they're going to fall out of the top 25. They'll be out of the college football playoff top 25, I think. Playoffs are out the picture. Rose Bowl, or I, I should say Pac-12 championship, still on the table for this Oregon team. So there's still a lot to play for for Oregon. They still control their own destiny. They just have to win out. Not impossible, but damn, there's a lot of work to do for this Oregon team. So make sure you read all our work, all our post-game coverage on DuckTerritory.com. If you're not a member of the DuckTerritory.com Duck membership community, join now. 75% off our annual membership. That's a Black Friday sale that runs through the month of November. December 1st, it's gone, to our knowledge at least. And basketball season is here. We've also got women's men's basketball starting up this week, um, at least from the women's perspective. We'll see when the men play. But tons of stuff going on at DuckTerritory.com for you guys to enjoy and read, read our coverage, support our work you can do so by subscribing today. 
until we talk to you on Monday with our review podcast. And boy, that's going to be fun. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. Better days are ahead. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.